0: So, I guess first things first, how how are you doing? How are you hanging in with everything?
1: I'm doing okay, man. Uh, I was telling you earlier, you know, I think I'm kind of acclimated to this situation with being uh, secluded to your house, quarantined. Um, When I come off tour, I'm always, I always like to just stay home with my family and we don't do too much. Um, So, yeah, I think I was prepared for this. Some people in our band are having a hard time with it. You know, they need to get out and be around others. And I know that's hard on a lot of people, you know, so. But I'm doing okay.
0: Yeah, no, that's good to hear, man. It's, I'm kind of right there with you. I just do my thing. I've been focusing on different projects at home and just, I guess, stuff I wanted to work on, you know, with podcasts, yeah. YouTube channel, things like that nature. And so uh, it's been good to have that extra time. I did see that there were some cold masks on Instagram, which yeah. is su- super cool. What's the best way for somebody to order one of those? They're pretty
1: cool. Um, Bandware, bandware.com is where we have all our merch go through, um, and we put some links up on the page on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. And yeah, um, I was a little apprehensive about putting Mask out when all this first started. I know Korn had done it, a couple other bands, and um, I, I really wasn't sure about doing it. You know, I, I just felt weird. A weird thing to put out um however after you know a couple of months have gone by now and all our fans keep asking us for them so we were like well everybody wants them so let's find a good one and put out um it's definitely not it's not COVID 19 proof but it's able to be worn over uh, a mask you know just so you don't have the uh surgical type thing look walking around the stores if you want but they're pretty cool
0: yeah that's awesome and that's kind of the thing with that too is you know having your own style right and showing your own personality yeah. through it and so we actually if it makes it feel better we have some with the radio station too so we made some x masks that people can wear and whatnot so uh, nice yeah, yeah yeah
1: it's cool hell every time i go to the store i see people making homemade ones or bandanas you know so i think these are equally as protective as those you know so um why not? Why not have something cool to wear off?
0: Exactly. And I think it's the right thing to do, you know, just to look out for those around you as well. So For sure. Yeah, so super cool. And so have you, have you thought about doing more online-type shows and performances, things like that, given what's going on?
1: You know, me and Nick, we're working on a cut. Co- the thing that sucks is we're all separated through, throughout the states. Like, every band, except for Nick and Johnny, they're in Wilkes Bar. Um, I'm currently in Kansas City, Lindsay is in California. Sam is in Texas. So, you know, we looked into doing things through, like, a Zoom thing where you can maybe record stuff or go live with all the different members. Um, and then we I watched a bunch of bands do it, and I wasn't really so happy with the sound quality of that. But me and Nick worked out a way where we can kind of do it with just me and him and Johnny. Uh, and it sounds really good. So we did a couple songs. We did, I think we did. We all love and quiet now, and we're going to put those out here in the next week or so.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I've actually been trying to push drive-in concerts, and nobody's going yeah. for it. But
1: yeah, well, you know, there's there's uh, places like Stage It. I don't know if anybody's heard of that, but yeah, there's, yep. well, a lot of people have heard of it. Um, Stage It, and a few places are, you know, they're having things where you can. Uh, there's a set price you can buy to see an artist do a live show, or you can, um, pay what you work with some people. Um, but it's a pretty cool thing. That's Foxing. uh, it's an indie band. They're super dope. They had a show a few weeks ago and I checked it out and it was amazing.
0: Yeah, no, it's awesome. I actually watched uh, blue October did a performance on there.
1: Yeah. Oh, their... I love blue October. Yeah. That's great.
0: Same, same here. Yeah. They did their, their full foiled album front to back or well, Justin did and it was...
1: That's cool. Did they do it on stage at
0: too? Yeah, I believe it was on... It was staged. It was... I think it was just him at home with his acoustic guitar, and then he played front to back the whole album, and it was kind of a... And this might be the same thing. It was like a donate what you want to donate kind of a thing, or pay what mm-hmm. you want to pay, and it was a really, really cool way to... I think it's just a great way for you know, artists to connect with fans that are at home right now, and we're all, you know, just anxious to go out to concerts again obviously and so yeah, I think it...
1: everybody man we're, and we're we're anxious to go play you know so and this was a big deal you know when we started the things we can't stop we had just it was you know a full record cycle is normally 13 months so that was we were planning on touring the entirety of that maybe coming home a couple months through in the interim on that little parts um and we had only been able to tour 2 weeks 2 months on the record 2 months we did went through the states, you know, we didn't get to hit every state, but um, two months and then this new tour was supposed to start mid-April, I think. Uh, and it was like a storyteller's acoustic thing. We were calling it a different kind of tour. And three weeks before we had to pull it because everything shut down. And, um, you know, it's just, just crazy. It's a hard thing, man.
0: Yeah, it to, is.
1: You know, now I have to look at. You know, what are we going to do? We still have to promote this record. We still have to do things. Um, so, but as with anything in life, you know, I I think people adapt to things, and we we're innovative, and we can create things, and you know, the stage at things, doing live shows online, things like that. We'll all figure a way to still be together and create and have audience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's been my biggest thing through this is, you know, we're all in this together. It all, it sucks for everybody, you know, some more than others, but we have to get through this and it has to be a, a together thing. For sure. And so, you know, talking about shows here, when you were growing up, was there a show you went to in particular that made you want to go up on stage and become a rock star in a rock band?
1: You know, it was my parents. This is not going to be rock and roll at all, dude. I'm going to tell you that right now. Well, my parents used to take me to um, fairs each year. And back in the day, and my parents listened to rock and roll, and they listened to country, and they listened to all kinds of different music. Pop, anything. Disco. So, uh, But country was a thing that used to be played at the fairs each time. There was big concerts. and so Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton one year. Um, and then I saw a a performer called Ronnie Millsap. He's a blind piano player. Hmm. Um, and my dad used to always play his music, so I loved it. And he played a bunch of sad songs, which I was, I've was i always loved sad songs. Uh, so I went to see that concert with him, and I remember uh, he was playing the piano, and he was playing the song I loved. I think it was, I forget, it was almost like a song, I think is the name of the song. And uh, it was a big crescendo at the end, and all of a sudden the smoke covers the entire stage and everything disappears. And then he walks out and to me, I was eight years old. It was, I was, it was a magical moment. So I I think that was one of the times where I was like, I want to be that dude up there. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I was, you know, and then every concert after that, you know, Durandaran, and uh, a bunch of, I went to a lot of metal concerts. Rat was a big deal to me back then. Um, So, yeah, I think all the concerts throughout my early childhood inspired me to be a
0: musician. At what point during that time did you know you could write and sing? I had started, you know, Sam
1: used to play drums in his garage. He lived a couple blocks down from me, and he was a really cool kid, and, you know, he just would sit in his garage and play drums all the time, had real long red hair, Um, and I used to skateboard by his house wanting to, I had gotten a guitar from my next door neighbors. And I think the only song that I knew how to play at the time was I will follow by you 2 It was two strings on a, I only had four strings on a six string guitar, but I didn't really care. Um, I had delay pedal, a little amp. I used to skateboard by his house all the time to try to get him to notice me and maybe just talk to me and I could say, Hey, I got a guitar. Let's play together. Um, Mm -hmm. And that never happened. But one day he, I guess he had heard from somebody, in school that I had a guitar and an amp and he noticed me from skating by his house, also skateboarding by his house. So he came up and asked me if I wanted to jam and that kind of started it. Um, and for the first few years, all I did was play like guitar and bass in bands. And I was always such a shy singer. Like I remember when I watched the doors movie, um, and Jim Morrison turning his back to the crowd, um, It was kind of, I you know, I hadn't known he did that before, but when I had first started singing, uh, one of the, one of the guys in the band that we were in at the time had gotten sick and didn't show up for practice, and there was a TSOL song called Colors, and uh, it was a really low voice, and I was like, I think I could sing that, you know, Jason's not here, so let's try it, and I did it, and after I did it, the band was like, dude, you sound just like that guy, like, you're the singer, so... I kinda of did that but I was really apprehensive about it and super scared. Um so the first few shows we played at this place called Einstein's and go go down at Jacksonville Beach. It's a little super indie club. I think I saw Nirvana there when they played Bleach. Um but I I remember the first few shows I would I totally couldn't face the crowd. I just turned my back and I was so scared. Um but we always got a good reaction regardless. I think people are just like, the kid's weird, but he sounds okay. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I started singing. Around maybe 14, 15 years old, that happened.
0: Wow. And then how did cold become cold? You know, And what spawned the name change from Grundig, right, when you started out?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great story, too. Um, when we went to Malibu with Ross Robinson to create the record at Indigo Ranch, we had written it, and, you know, the whole time we had been called Grundig because our sound was, uh, you know, it's a German stereo company, by the way. Um, however, you know, grunge was a thing, and we thought we were like the Southern Black Sabbath back then, so uh, we needed, we were we were in tune with the grunge scene. Um, so Grundig fit. It just made sense. So we named our band that. We went and recorded the record under that name, uh, and then me and Ross flew to New York to... Have a, I think it was Howie Weinberg was mastering, and we had spent like a week up there while he was mastering, and we were at his uh, studio, and I remember our lawyer called, and was like, dude, you you know, uh, we just got a note, a letter from Grundig, and they need to, they want you to buy the, to spend a lot of money to get this name, you know, and I was like, well, how much, what's a lot of money? He was like around two hundred thousand dollars. I was like, whoa! Like, and we had just got, it was our first record deal. We had just gotten an, enough money for us to kind of live on for a while and stuff. So we actually we had no we no one had two hundred extra thousand dollars, and the label wasn't going to do that. So we right there in the studio, we were like, well, let's change the name. Um, and it seemed like an easy thing to do, but it was because Wes Borland called. And Ross was talking to him because he had just done the Limbiscuit record. So him and Wes were talking, and me and Wes had grown up together, so we were all friends. And uh, we were, Ross is like, dude, they're changing the name Gruntig. They have to, and Wes was like, no. And he he's like, dude, you know it'd be hilarious. He goes, well, why don't they call it Cold? Because they're, you know, we're from Florida, you know. And uh, you know, Wes said it as a joke, <laughs> however when I heard it I go that's kind of perfect you know it does describe the music because back then we were it was very dark and well today it still is kind of dark but um, yeah it just kind of fit everything and I was like there's no way in hell that no one has that name cold right and I immediately call our lawyer and I'm like dude cold he goes yeah great he goes you pick one of the most standard names possible like do you know that's gonna be taken and I go, man, just check it out. And he called back like 10 minutes later. He goes, dude, what are the chances of that? You know, he goes, nobody's taken that name. So, uh, yeah, we were able to get it.
0: That's crazy. I'll, I'll actually get back to Ross in a second because I had something I want to ask you. Cool. But first, is there a deeper meaning behind the spider or is it all just a tribute to Spider-Man?
1: No, not, not really a tribute to Spider-Man. I don't even think we were thinking about that when we did it. We, when, uh. You know we had had the name cold and we had a cool font. We were using a thing from the omen kind of to uh for the font and stuff, but tattoos had become a really special thing back then in the nineties, and everybody's getting these tribal things and we decided to create you know a little emblem for us that you know the fans could share by getting tattooed on them or just draw or put on shirts and stuff like that that way we would have a connection with our fans. Um, and Sam had came up with the idea of a spider because it was, you know, it moved slow and it was creepy. And we thought that that kind of resembled the music. So it was a great thing. And we had had our buddy Dwayne Crafton, a tattoo artist down in Jacksonville, Florida. We had told him about the spider idea. And he came to us a couple of weeks later with about 50 different designs for it. And we kept fine-tuning it into what it became. You know, the Spider, I'll say this, but the Spider throughout the years has definitely changed a little bit and become more sharpened and tighter. used so, to be a little bigger.
0: And that's why it's so great to hear it straight from you, because I just assumed, you know, the love of Spider-Man and the Spider, and that was the case.
1: Yeah, no, I was a big Spider-Man fan, too, when I was a kid, but that really, like, it, it wasn't even a thing. The funny thing about the Spider-Man logo and growing up on the comic books and, you know, early movies and stuff like that, it wasn't anything like the cold spider and now it's almost the cold spider. It's almost like they adapted to our spider. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of strange. I was like, man, it's getting really close.
0: Yeah. it's interesting. I'm going to be able to notice that every single time and not unsee it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Especially if you look up the old uh, Spider-Man things around the time that we created it, it really looked nothing like it.
0: Huh? Interesting. And then, you know, I was telling you a little bit offline too, about how I do a live request show every Friday night and, I have to tell you literally i get requests for cold probably almost every week and that that makes me happy you know
1: me too yeah that's awesome man that's really nice
0: yeah and it's every time because it's you know, i grew up a fan too that's the thing here is i'm, I'm a fan as well and you know that all said yeah. cold is back that's exciting and what made you Thanks. decide to bring cold back after you know the years off
1: um I don't know, I man, I just, you know, I've always been a songwriter. We've This has always been our thing, you know. It's been my life and what I love to do. And um, i would taken off some years to be with my sister. She had gotten sick again with cancer. And she's better now, and things are good. Just had a baby and everything, so she's doing really well right now. However, um, you know, I, I, the first time she went through that, I wasn't there. I was always touring, so I wanted to be home uh, throughout the entire thing this time. Okay, uh, So I took off a few years and just kind of needed to do that. And it was nice to be home. I had been touring like 16 years straight throughout my life. And I needed that time. Uh, not 16 years, but probably about 12 years. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of nice to be there and, you know, be with my family more and just do that. Um, however, you know, a uh, record late Napalm had called us during death time and they offered us a record deal and I always wanted to get cold back over to Europe and I assumed you know there were European labels so I was like well maybe this is a good fit um and let's let's see if we you know took actually it took me a year or two before I totally decided to do it but I went ahead and did it and um you know after playing the first few shows on the last tour it just all the fans that showed up and everyone singing every song and uh, just the emotion that they have for gold, and the emotion that we have for them, um, it kind of just made us know that this is what we we need to keep it going, you know. And granted, we had just made a record, so we were going to do that anyways. But I think that just reaffirmed that we're doing the right thing. It's nice to be back out.
0: That's a great story too about you know you putting priorities first, obviously. And I'm I'm glad to hear your sisters doing well. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. And So the you know the new album, the things we can't stop is such a beautiful piece of art and what does that mean to you this one in particular
1: i mean it it was a lie. it was a hard record to write um because i hadn't written in such a long time i you know throughout my life throughout my teens until the end of different or super fiction really i had um i always wrote like i always created music and did that every day i'd write something and play something and would take in the time off with my family i had i kind of got away from that for a little bit. And, um, when I got back into it, um, the music came easily as it always does, but the lyrics and you know, they, I kept changing the songs. Like I would write all these lyrics for a song and what it was about and the emotion and they were beautiful. And then I would just, one day I'd drive in my car and listen to it and go, it's not, it's not painful enough. It's not emotional enough. Like, You know, and I I don't know if that was me feeling pressured because of what I feel the cold fans need in their lives with our music, what they expect it to be, Um, because I've always written for myself, you know, but at one Mm -hmm. point in my career, it took a thing where not only do I write for myself to help me go through what I go through, because I always try to sing about real life, like 95% of our songs are true things that have happened to uh, me or someone in the band or someone close to us. And, um, you know, I, I kept going over songs and changing the lyrics and I lost that memory thing. Uh, you know, when you, it's a muscle, the writing muscle in your brain, if you don't do it all the time, it's not going to be, you know, well-equipped to continue doing what you do. Um, so I was having a really hard time writing beautiful things. <laughs> and so I went through a huge depression stage. Um, I got sick, uh, took about a year and a half just for the lyrics and the melodies to come for it. And I remember I would take my car and drive throughout the mountain roads and Temecula and go down to the beach and drive down there and just whatever came to me came to me. And then uh, I tell the story, I, it was serious writer's block. So the depression on that is another level when, when that's how you make your money and how you take care of your family, is creating music. And when you're unable to do it, it is the most gnarliest thing that could happen i'm like it's you know i'm not trying to be spiritual but it felt like god took everything away from me um and so i started watching all kinds of documentaries on musicians and old older musicians that i admired growing up and i saw nick cave uh, documentary that he did and it was amazing it's called one more time with feeling and he had written, he had gotten a studio. His, his son had passed away um, a couple of years before that. He'd fell from a bridge, and they weren't really sure why it happened. If he was, I think he was on LSD, he'd taken some, and he had fell from this bridge. So Nick Cave had gotten a studio close to that place and decided to go there and create this beautiful film, beautiful record. Um, and so that kind of inspired me. I started watching that every day. And uh, just knowing that he was able to go, you know, I thought I was depressed and I was like, man, this guy's going through it when something that tragic happened. So I need to pick myself up here. And I think watching it over and over again just kept inspiring me. And then one day I just I, I think I was driving, listening to the music for Shine. And that was the song. I didn't know what it was going to be about. I was all I had was the chorus. I want to see you shine. I want to see you go for the win but I was like, what does that mean? Like, I know it's an uplifting part, but it had to come from something painful. So, um, we had talked to one of our photographer friends and her kid had been being bullied, had gotten bullied a lot. And, um, we wanted her to do a little part on a record. And this was before we found this out. It was for a whole nother thing. Um, but when they started telling us the story about it, it kind of triggered me. And I started thinking, I go, dude, this is what the song's about. It's about, this is what we should write it for. It's about being bullied. I was, I brought back memories for me. I was bullied when I was a young kid in school. So it all came back and with that song, it started the whole record and it brought back all my, uh, you know, writing. It just became easy again.
0: Is there a song on the album that was maybe harder to write than others or do they all kind of come to you the same once that starts flowing?
1: I think Snowblind was probably the hardest one to write on that on that one because we had written that song at the end of Superfiction. i I'd, I'd written it uh, back in Jacksonville on just a keyboard and a uh, little guitar with a crazy fuzz sound on it and then when we got to the studio to do super fiction, we had done all these songs and I had totally forgotten about that song and by the time we went to record it it was too late like the production had stopped for the record and we we didn't have any more money to spend on it so we weren't able to record it so basically i, I but Cato, the producer at the time was like oh my god i can't believe we didn't record that song it's a beautiful song um so but we weren't able to do it and we couldn't tuck the label into doing it so we, live we started playing it a lot and it was kind of funny because I didn't re- I knew what the chorus was, but I didn't really know what the lyrics and the verses were about. So I just started ad-libbing, like kind of like a rapper. You know, I'd get up every night, and the verses would be kind of about different things, but it all made sense somehow. And so, but I never really understood what that song was about. And then when we were doing the record, it was really important because the fans that had heard it live had saw videos of it online and stuff, so they were really emotional about that song deemed it as one of our best songs so when i was in the studio it was super important to do something really real with that and um make people feel it and you know i was i battled with depression a lot throughout my life and definitely on this record and uh the song ended up being you know some people think it's about being a drug addict and stuff but it's really about just you know I never thought I would live this long because of the things that I had done to my body in the past and things and you know I'm better now and all that it's great but I've lived through really dark times with things and I'd always imagined like what it would be like if I died and I got shipped back to Florida for a funeral and that's kind of that's pretty much what that song's about like one day I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and in a box, and uh, it's pretty tragic, of yeah. course, but, you know, um, it was a beautiful song. So.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's deep for sure. And, you know, better human is one that gets me right in the heart, you know, especially during times like this and yes. kind of all I've been trying to preach with this is, you know, just be a good person, do the right thing for others, right? Like we we're talking earlier, we're all kind of right. in this together and, you know, especially the line, you'll know, be a better broken human being. That's kind right. of a great reminder, at least to me, that, you know, we all hurt. We all go through things. We all go through dark times. Now, that being said, do you set out to write relatable songs like that, or does that just kind of happen naturally?
1: I think I wrote that song out of angst, honestly, you know, because I and this, it's such a pretty song, and it means for everybody to be together and get better. But there was a part of me where, you know, social media for the last few years um. We're just, every time you get on, you see people fighting with each other over the stupidest things. Um, and I just kept seeing that. And then news channels, you see people arguing on there. And everybody just seemed to be at each other's throats the last few years. So um, I really wrote that song just trying to say, you know, stand up and be a better person. You guys stop with the BS. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it really that important? Like, remember, the, remember who we were back you know, like when I was growing up. It seemed like even though people had the differences and their different ideologies, that everyone could um, come together and be together. And it wasn't as tragic and gnarly as it is now. Um, and I just, you know, it was time of remembering the past till now. And I feel sorry for people, you know, younger people, because they grew up in this. So that kind of freaks me out. You know, I'm like, they don't know, they don't know a world where people are not at each other's throats all the time, or you can't post something nice online and get berated for it. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, uh, call to arms mm-hmm. kind of thing.
0: And to that point too, I'll, I'll tell you, I deleted my Facebook, you know, for, a, yep. Just a minute during this, just to kind of see what that would be like, so I can focus on other things, not get, you know, caught up in all that stuff. And it was actually really refreshing. So, kind of recommend yeah, take that break. It's definitely
1: nice to step away from social media because it's just a bunch of noise, mm-hmm. you know. And granted, people want to stay connected and stuff like that, but there was a point, you know, in the last few years where it became something different than that. Yeah. So, hopefully, though, you know, this is just with everything in our life, do well, are, you know since we've been here things have come and gone and maybe this is just a moment with social media and it you know i don't i don't know maybe to get worse maybe to get better and people will be over it at one point and not need that anymore
0: yeah but and, we'll see and it's kind of a catch-22 as well because you know for you to promote band stuff and for me to promote radio stuff and music and all you that, have to have it yeah you kind of have to see so your hands are sort of tied so that's why i just took that minimal break and it was nice but at the same time it was like It's a needed thing, though, especially now. Everything's moving digitally into media.
1: Yeah, and it sucks because, you know, I love getting on there and talking to our fans and going through the comments and seeing what they're going through or messages and things like that. Like, I've always been there for them like that, and I always want to continue to do that. Um, And we're still great with that. Like, our cold army is so cool and they're good people, and we don't have a lot of uh, drama on our stuff. But never go anywhere else. Never go to the message section. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just stay away from all that.
0: Yeah. It's the comment section, especially on news articles and stuff. That's just, right. it's a trap. It's a trap. It is.
1: It is. And
0: yeah, half the things, you know, the people don't read the articles. They just see the
1: headlines. And uh, you have a bunch of, uh, now at this moment, we have a bunch of doctors, people that aren't doctors, being doctors and offering information that who knows where they got it from, you know? So It's scary. It's scary. People don't know what to believe anymore.
0: Nobody trusts anybody. You know, to that point, I actually posted something earlier about, you know, if you're going to share things like that, you know, it's, it's a dangerous game (laughs) if you're not kind of researching what you're sharing and it can get out of control pretty quick.
1: Yeah. And that's the problem too. People, you can't even, even if you research a place that has facts and you send it back to someone knowing it's a factual article, You know, then they're like, oh, you know, that was owned by this company. and It's fake and blah." it's all set up. I'm like, oh, I give up. I stop. Yeah. Leave me be, dude. I can't talk to you. It's not worth it. I'm, I'm, you know, losing brain cells as I'm typing back to you.
0: Exactly. And that's the thing. I was like, you're not going to win an argument. It's just going to, everyone's going to have their own opinion one way or the other. And so you just kind of pull back and try to focus on your own thing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen, you know, and. I've only been here since 1970, but throughout my life, I've never seen this much division in our country. And it's, it's, you know, I'd like us all to be the United States of America again.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And then, you know, to talk about the album a little bit further in depth, you know, on, on the one who got, that got away. Is that about somebody in particular mm-hmm. that got away? Or is that kind of a general thing that everybody
1: it's, can of? Yeah. It's a, it was a general thing. You know, it's like, uh, I, Zach or, guitarist from uh, previously um, we're still good friends and he, had, me and him had written that song back when I was at home with my sister um, and I'd just written a few songs throughout that whole time but um, he, had, me and him had constructed the music for it and that was one of the last songs on the record that I could come up with something for and I took myself back to you know I've been happily married for 13 years beautiful woman best thing ever um however i had to take myself back to something you know when you're younger and you know you lose somebody you love or somebody goes away from you um just something else to relate to for people and uh it turned out really cool
0: that's awesome and you know my friend sarai also a huge cold fan i think she was gonna cry when i told her you and i were gonna be chatting uh She pointed out this great response, you know, that you've had to Quiet Now on social media to kind of tie back into that. With so many people sharing, you know, personal stories and all those things, does hearing those stories affect your, you know, struggles and loss and things like that and how you feel about it?
1: Yes, for sure. Like, everybody takes the, you know, Quiet Now is pretty, it's a, it's not a vague song. A lot of cold songs, you know, there's a lot of vague Lyrics and, and stuff like that, to so where you can kind of create your own uh, meaning for what the song means to you. But Quiet Now is pretty direct. Um, and I'd written it for our friend Matthew Kaiser, who used to be a cold fan. Um, well, he still is a cold fan, but he, we met him years ago at a show. And he's a wonderful young man. And um, well, me and him just hit it off. And we've become really good friends. Um, so we were doing the record in Arizona, we were just doing the drums and the bass, and his father had passed away. Um, And so it was around the time of the Super Bowl, and he had to come there around that time to go to his dad's funeral. So we wanted him to come out to the house we had rented and um, let him have dinner and watch the Super Bowl with us and stuff like that, and we'd try and cheer him up. And he'd come out there and we had a great day and I think we helped him a little bit and a few days later he sends me this picture of him and his father holding hands and uh it really just set the stage for that song like I go I have to write a song for this guy and it needs to be you know beautiful and perfect and it needs to be impactful enough and painful enough to give him justice for what he went through um and I remembered remember back to when I was a child and a lot of my friends had committed suicide and people that had died around me. It was pretty brutal. But um, I remember the parts where you, the worst parts for me were being in the room and not having them there like or not hearing them, you know, the little noises they make uh, in the hallways or just the, knowing that their presence is still there. Mm-hmm. Those were the tough times. That, that was a tough thing for me and I don't know if it's because being a musician and going off sounds and stuff like that, but those were always painful things to know that you're never going to hear that person again. Um, And so it just all kind of worked out. I I was driving from Temecula to uh, the studio in Arizona just to do that song because I wanted to do it in the studio that we created it in. So when I was driving there, I kind of wrote the lyrics on the way to the studio that night it's like a five hour drive and I just kept going over it and it finally hit me and, and it all just came, the floodgates opened up and it worked out.
0: And it's yeah. it's an amazing song for sure. And like I said, everybody can relate to it in their own ways, you know, and with their own yeah. struggles. And I've always loved the song Run, you know, and that's one that kinda yeah. kicked me back to a particular time a lot of nostalgic with it. What made you pick Snow Patrol in particular in that song to cover?
1: I think that song's always been just such a beautiful song. I think I heard it years and years ago on some kind of TV show. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, we got Snow Patrol. Of course, I love that band. So I started listening to that song and I downloaded it. And I used to listen to it all the time when I get emo and I have to leave my family or something like that for a tour. Um, And it just became one of those songs, like a staple throughout my life, like, and till this day whenever that song comes on it's i can't skip it you know so me and nick were going through a couple of different ideas with songs and i really aren't a fan of doing covers but i just knew that i had to do that song for some reason and that you know i felt that my voice would you know complement it as well as it could you know definitely i i thought it would work out well and when Nick heard me do the first couple of verses, he was like, dude, we have to do this now. So, um, yeah, it worked out great. And I'm really proud of it. I love Snow Patrol. And, you know, it was, it's an honor to do one of their songs.
0: Yeah, it fits really well, the album, too. Because the first time I was listening through, you know, that song came on. And it took me a second. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, know, I know this. And then that's when it when it clicked. I was like, oh, wow. That, and it just fits with everything else that's going on. On the album, yeah, and you know when the album is finished, right, and it's released, is it a relief for you, or is it more of you know let's get back to work? Now we have to promote the album. We got to go on tour.
1: Yeah, see, i the album part of it, like once I'm done creating it and the mixes are done, the mastering's done, like I just let that go. I'm like, all right, now it is. It's what it's going to be. You know, the next step for us was creating a tour and putting on a good show for everybody, and all the little aspects that go into that. So, um, yeah, I just went to work mode, you know, it didn't, I, I was like, yeah, we got a record coming out, but the tour is important. Connecting with people again are important, especially for not being out. And, you know, I think it was seven years we had been, so it was very important to come out of the gates on fire. Yeah. This and, tour.
0: and connecting right now is obviously super important yes and then how does you know recording an album in the present day differ from say the first album in the 90s what's the difference for you
1: well you know when we did our first record with ross robinson back at indigo ranch everything was still on real real you know nothing was digital yet um i think it was Pro was just kind of coming out but ross was completely anti that and he definitely wanted everything to be real to real and um which is cool, and it's got a great sound to it. It's warm, and it's just got a, a beautiful thing to all that, and I love that. However, you know, things started advancing throughout the records, and it, we even did 13 Ways to Bleed on Stage with Real Real with Adam Casper in Seattle, and I think that was the last record. When we went with Year of the Spider, everything became digital with Howard Benson, and uh, it was, you know, it was a different process a little bit um, quicker, faster um, with editing and things like that and the little things you could do with music and placing it in different spots. Um, Ross, a funny story about Ross Robinson, he used to scare the hell out of me and it, he scared the hell out of all bands really because I had talked to the guys from not about this corn, but when he uh, and even the guys that ran the studio, they used to laugh, they go, wait till he starts editing your tape, you're going to freak out. And he'd take these big reels and he'd just spin them and he has a razor blade in his hand and I don't know how he didn't do it with like headphones on or anything. So he couldn't hear these little parts, but he just knew like he was a magician. Like he just spin the reels and cut it wherever and spliced it and put the different tracks together. And it was like a wizard. I was like, what the hell is he doing right now? Like did he just throw all this tape on the ground that was important, but he didn't. It was, it was kind of crazy. But yeah, things have changed, man. And, and, you know, Today, in a, a different kind of pain, that's when everything really changed. Like We had gotten with Elvis Basquette because he had did, I think, the Chevelle record in uh, some some of the parts of it in a garage at their place in Vegas. And I just loved Elvis Basquette's production. And I loved the guitar sounds we got, and I loved the Chevelle records. So um, when we went with him to do the record, we wanted to go to this haunted place up in um it was in wood, outside of Woodstock, and it was an old place where this, the band Creed had went there, and a lot of bands had went there. They used this old barn to do the drums and Rush, all kinds of older bands, Neil Young, everybody. Uh, but the studio was still going on, and we had heard that Creed had been up there, and they had left the house because it was haunted. And they had been up there for like two days, and they just said no we're not doing this we're out of here so of course we were like great that studio's open let's go there if they have ghosts this is gonna be great and so (laughs) we go up there to experience all that and do the drums for different kind of pain however the vibe was kind of strange we wanted to do more of the record there but the vibe was a little strange and it was creepy and uh we saw a couple things with ghostly things there Uh, some shutters banging against the house one night things like that which works weird, but, um, we, Elvis, Elvis's grandmother had just passed while we we're doing the drums and she had left him a house down in Virginia on the beach. And he was like, dude, why don't we just pack up everything and go down there and like record at my grandma's place. We have a huge dock that goes out into the ocean. It's beautiful. And I know that you need the ocean to write your lyrics and all that stuff. And he goes, so let's just try it. And we all took a break and then came back about a month later and met in Virginia at his grandma's house. And he had it all set up inside. And from that point on, you know, it kind of X'd out studios, like major studios. Like we didn't have to go there anymore to, and spend $3,000 a day at the time. It was really expensive, um, to record a record. Like we could just set up shop in somebody's house and make equally as great sounding music from a living room than we could in a major studio. So it was pretty cool, man. And I I still tell people, you know, with doing drum sounds and stuff, I think it is important to do those kind of things in a studio, Um, but everything else you can do from a home.
0: It's funny you say that too, about the drum sounds and with Ross. So he's actually where I learned like the beauty of tape actually yeah and so yeah. i work with you know local studios here in in boise and then local bands here as well and so one of the last projects we were in the studio working on the guy who owns the studio jason has a old school reel-to-reel player you know and so mm-hmm. we did like a hybrid on the drums or it was, it was recorded on tape and then we ran it through into pro tools and it just has such a yeah. different vibe and sound to it yeah do you keep in touch with ross by the way
1: you know we did the killer and the star together i did a solo project a few years ago and we had did that at his house down in uh Santa Monica on the beach and yeah I mean I haven't talked to him in a little while but yeah I always loved Ross and you know there's things that Ross instilled in me throughout my career that you know from the first record um that I carry with me to this day and I try to share with other musicians like I remember one time I was doing vocals for Ugly I think on the first record and I was in there singing and you know, you're you're singing every day, you're going through the songs and, you know, the song had been with me for many years. I wrote it when I was a kid, like 16, maybe. Um, so it had been with me for a few years. So I'm just going through it and singing it. And I remember he, him coming into the booth and he goes, hey, man, how you feeling today? I was like, okay, I'm feeling good. He was like, yeah. He goes, Um, you mind if I sit here in the booth with you? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, you're Russ Robinson. You do anything you want. So <laughs> he uh, he sat behind me in the booth, and I went through the track again. And I could kind of I kept looking over because I was you know intimidated a little bit. And then uh, I remember I was like, "He's not happy right now." I go, "Is there something wrong, man?" Went, he goes, "Dude." He goes, "I just." He goes, "How long have you been trying to be a musician?" I said, "My whole life. You know, since I was twelve, I always wanted this." And he goes, "Well." He goes, the only way that people can feel what you're going through. And he goes, well, this is one of the first songs you played for me. And he goes, when you played it that night, he goes, I felt it. By, by the time you got to that first chorus, he goes, I knew I was going to bring you to Malibu. He said, so that night you played it, it was different. And he goes, when you, he goes, you need to understand that when, for everything to translate, for people to feel you as much as you need them to feel you you need to go back to that place you were at when you wrote that song and you need to be that person and have that emotion when you're singing it to people. That's the only way it translates through people and they'll accept it and they know it's real when it happens like that. And, um, you know, I took that to heart and then I got really, I get emotional talking about it to you right now, but I got really emotional when he said that because I felt like I a let him down B let myself down. So I went out and walked uh, a little bit uh, up in Malibu and we came back and just nailed it. And, uh, you know, I try to do that with every song. Like I don't ever want to just put something out because you could just do it and put it out. I always want to make it as real as it can be. And I I still use that same, you know, energy when I go to a microphone on stage or um, in a studio or wherever, you know, you have to, You have to be that person and go through the emotions that you went through in that song, or it's not worth it to play it.
0: And Ross is actually the reason. So, you know, just chatting with him, you know, back and forth and whatnot, he's kind of the one that inspired me to get into more of the producing stuff and get in the studio with bands more. And it's one of those things where, you know, I'm trying to help our local bands out here. And if I'm playing music on the radio, because Sunday nights, I do a local music show and play local bands and new stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I can get in there and help make, songs better so when they are on the radio you know in, in those certain things so ross is kind of yeah the one that inspired that and so we we text back and forth music stuff every now and then so i did text him earlier you know i was i let him know i was gonna be chatting with you and i just asked is mm-hmm. there any fun tidbit about the first album that he could share that i could you know at, talk to you about and he all yeah. he said was ask him about crystal oh god
1: okay yeah well okay so Crystal was a. I forget the entire story with this, but I know that she was living with Ross and she was this beautiful Australian girl. Um, And I think the story was, is that she got exiled from Australia, maybe, uh, because she um, had been in a relationship with the prime minister or something there at the time. Uh, But she was this young, really pretty girl. She was living with Ross and I could never tell if they were together. And I think they were. I know they were. Um... (laughs) And so, the song "Stripper Down," we um, we were playing it, and you know, not the song really has nothing to do with um, a stripper or anything like that. It, you know, it's a just a tragic song about love and loss and pain. Um, but it was the funny thing was, Ross was like, "Dude, I got a great idea that we're gonna do before the." song and he's like what i was like what are you gonna do and so he goes he goes go on in the booth so i go in the booth and he starts cueing the music up and i'm like well okay so i'm just gonna go through it and he goes crystal he goes go in the booth with scooter and i'm like what the hell is happening right now <laughs> right so she comes in the booth with me and uh the song starts and Ross like nods his head and she says do you want me to strip for you Right. And the funny thing on the record is you can kind of hear, I kind of, I go like that, like, I was like, what the hell you, is he talking to me right now? Um, but we left all I and in mean, there, the little sounds and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a cool story.
0: Yeah, no, so it's crazy. And it
1: sounds really cool on the track, you know? So I was like, yes, we have to have that.
0: Image. Now I'll be going back to listen to it. I've been stewing on that since he texted me. I was like, what? And I didn't want to ask him because I wanted to hear the story from you. But I was like, what does it mean? It could be anything. I literally text him back. and I was like, that could be anything.
1: Yeah, no, that's kind of great. You know, I, I forgot about that. You know, I think I've mentioned that story a few times only throughout my career. That's... So that, was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good I... one, Ross.
0: <laughs> I'll let him know. too. I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome. Of course. And so, you know, obviously, like we said, we've been playing tunes from the new Cold Album, and of course, you know, Far Away, with you and Breaking Benjamin, how did that collaboration come about?
1: Um, Well, you know, me and Ben had been friends back in the day, because when we all started out, I think we started out before them, but a few years later, they started playing shows with us and stuff, so we had just became friends through that. And uh, our guitarist, Nick, uh, he's from a band called Lifer, and he's in a few more bands, he's always toured with us throughout our career, but... Nick's from Wilkes Bar, and they were all, him, Ben, and them grew up together, so he had a relationship with him also. And it was kind of funny. We were, you know, we hadn't played in eight, seven years or whatever, and we were doing pre-production for the new tour, the the tour that we did in November um, or October of last year. We were getting ready for that, and we really hadn't been together that long. Uh, We'd only been together a couple days, so we really hadn't gone through the songs. I had a new guitarist, Johnny. I had uh, Lindsay in the band at the time. And, you know, we had never really gone through these old songs and stuff like that. So Ben was playing a big show down the mountain from where we were staying. We were staying on some hill that was supposed to have Bigfoot. And the actual name of the radio station up there was Bigfoot Country or something. So we were kind of excited about that. Um, we were up there practicing And like I said, we only really practiced one day. And then Ben was playing a show on a Saturday and it was a big show. I think it was like 20,000 people and he was headlining and he had his, it was his tour. So he had found out that we were up the hill and he called Nick and he was like, dude, what are you guys, you guys like this close to me right now? Like you guys should come down tomorrow to the show. And he goes, um, why don't you play just got wicked? And, uh, I was like, okay, so Ben wants me to get up on stage and they're going to, are Breaking Benjamin's going to play Just Got Wicked and I'm just going to sing it and we're going to do it together, right? And Nick was like, no, dude. He goes, he wants to kind of stop the show, have Cold come out in the middle of his show, play Just oh, Got Wicked, and he's going to sing with us. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, there's no way in hell I'm doing that. We haven't even gone through that song really. Um,. So I said no. And then I sat on it that night. And then Nick and Lindsay kept telling they were like, dude, this is a great opportunity. It's going to be so cool. we got to do it. And finally, I, I woke up the next morning. I slept on it. woke up the next morning. I go, I don't know. Call him and tell him we're going to come up. And like, we we'll, we'll just do sound check see how it sounds. If it sounds okay, we'll be okay, you know. And um, Sean, his drummer, had played the drum. He was going to play the drums for us that day because Sam was still out of town. Um, so he was playing drums, Ben was gonna sing it with us and we were gonna get up and do it. And we went to do sound check. I think it was Sean's birthday. And um we'd done sound check and we messed up twice during it. So it was like I go, this is not gonna be okay. But we're gonna do it anyways. <laughs> um and of course, you know, it was wild because all of a sudden 20,000 people show up and I'm like, okay, so now I'm super intimidated. We haven't been on a stage in so many years. Now I'm going to come out here with a brand new band. We're probably going to mess it up. And we did, we messed it up during the bridge, but we caught, we came back in on the one, two, three, I come with the wicked count and it was great. And the good thing about it is all the fans joined in and we had a great time. And, just being back up on the stage and seeing everybody accept us again. And even though we messed up, I think Ben made a joke of it at the end. He was like, he was like, dude, you have one thing to do is play the drums, right? through this one part. And he goes, you messed up. And uh, everybody started laughing. So it was funny, but we had a great time, but that rekindled the whole thing with me and Ben being close again. And throughout the next week, we just started talking on the phone a lot and he kept telling me how, Cold was so inspirational when he first became an artist. It was like Death Tones, Corn, and Cold and Bush, I think, were the four bands that shaped their sound. Um, so I was like, Well, dude, if you ever want to do a song, we should do a song together one day. And he goes, He goes, Bro, check this out. He goes, I'm doing a bunch. He goes, I'm, I just finished an acoustic record. It's totally done. He goes, But I got like Lacey, uh, Spencer, got Adam, uh, the singer for Red. We got all kinds of people on here and we basically just did a bunch of breaking Benjamin songs over and uh we'd had guest vocalists on it. And I goes, It's beautiful, cool. Um, he goes, But there's one song called Far Away and he goes, I hadn't no one's heard that one yet And he goes, I just couldn't find the right person to sing it. He goes, But dude you're he goes, No I know why you came on that show the other day and it all happened He goes, You're the guy to sing that song He goes, So he goes, I know how you feel about music and you need to feel it to do it. So I'm going to send you the track. And if, if you love it, then if you want to try it, let's try it. So when he sent me the track, I think I got to the first verse of the second, the first chorus. And I just shut it off. I go, yes, it was so beautiful the way he did it. Um, I loved it. So the next two nights, me and Nick, Nick recorded the vocals for me and we sent it into him and him and Dan mixed it up and it, became what it was, and it's really good. It's a beautiful song. I'm proud to be a part of it. And it was nice to reconnect with Lacey and everyone, too, through the video we were doing. She was shooting the same day there, Lacey Sturm. Um, It was just it was cool to be back in all that.
0: Yeah, I was super stoked when I found out about that, too, because I was like, two of my favorite musicians, you know, on one track, you know, what are the odds? That's That's great. And you mentioned Nick, and I remember when Nick was in a band called Strangers with Candy back in the day, yep. and I remember—I literally remember in my room watching MTV, and they won that cover band contest, right? Did that yep. uh, the AHA cover take on me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then years later, changed their name to Lifer, and then in 2001, they opened for yep. you guys here at the Big Easy, and yep. it's now the Knitting Factory, I remember that. So how did that come full circle where Nick's joining the band.
1: Yeah, you know, I think Nick was just, uh, I think with Lifer, they were just a band that had uh, submitted to play a tour with us. And then I heard a song or two and we had got them on the tour with us. And I I just became such a big fan of Nick that uh, I just, you know, he had been through a few bands since then. You know, he started with Lifer and then his drama club, Strangers with Candy, And I forget the other name of the band. There was one more. Um, But he, uh, you know, every time that we'd go on tour and he had hit me up or connected with me and stuff, we'd always wanted to bring them out because he was just a cool kid and I loved him. So um, I've always had his back with that and supported him. Um, So when we were, when I was reforming Cold for the new album, um, I really wasn't sure if Nick could play guitar. But I always knew i I wanted to form a band with a bunch of people that were just really good people, and that um not that the other members of cold in the past weren't really good people, just I wanted to start over with a good set of people that I knew and I felt comfortable with. so when I got a hold of Nick it, I was kind of a little shy about asking him because you know he's always been a vocalist and um it was kind of strange question to ask somebody like that, but I was like, Hey man, do you know how to play guitar? He goes, yeah, I can play guitar, dude. I'm pretty good. I play a lot of solo stuff and I've been doing shows by myself and he goes, I'm okay. You know, and Colt's never really been like a lead guitarist type of band. So really, as long as you can just play pretty and um, do cool things, uh, you're good. You know, you can fit in there. And, but Nick is really good. He could do when he, he can play leads if he wants to. I but I didn't know that. But when I asked him, I was like, "Dude, do you think you'd like to come and play with Cold and just be the guitarist?" I said, "We'll definitely still collaborate with songs and you know I want you to sing." Well, of course, we have a lot of harmonies and stuff. So he still, I was hoping he would still get his fix from singing through that. And uh, immediately he said yes. You know, he's like, "Of course, like that's great. Hell yeah, I'll be the same Cold." So. He was all excited, and, you know, that made me feel good. So it was awesome, man. It was awesome to have him still to this day. He's a great person. I hope he stays with us ever.
0: Yeah, I remember when he shared that on his social media page. I was like, wait, what? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Which is just super awesome. I think Stardog Champion was the other band.
1: Yes, that's exactly who it was. Yeah, Thank
0: and I remember that because it's a Mother Love great, Bone song. Which is great because I love Mother Love Bone. Yeah,
1: you know
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why I, I always remember that name just because of, of Mother Love Bone. And um, yeah, I
1: can't believe I forgot that.
0: No, it's all good. So we mentioned you know MTV a little bit with that. Did you ever expect to see your band on MTV? You know, with Stupid Girl and all the doors that were opened with talk shows and things like that. Is that something you ever dreamed up?
1: Um. You know, of course, I always wanted to be there. So, um, but yeah, no, not really. You know, I, I never really thought we would get there. Um, but MTV back then, we we had made some great relationships with people, like when Matt Penfield, which is still a great friend, one of my best friends to this day. Um, and 120 minutes used to be on uh, every Saturday night or Friday night, I think, and um, that really gave us a good outlet to premiere our music and stuff like that. And, you know, through the Limp Biscuit thing, too, that was a great connection with all that. And MTV started giving us love. And then, hell, I think we got like a 30-minute special on there before, you know, on a thing we did with 13 Ways to Bleed on stage and just got wicked and all kinds of stuff. So we started doing these huge things like Pepsi Smash and then the Tonight Show, um, all kinds of cool stuff. And it was really cool, man. But, yeah, you know, I'm glad that we had that moment. You know, a lot of bands never get to get those experiences. And even if we never have them again, you know, it at least put us to a a level where our fan base was able to grow enough to where we can always go out and play shows and have a solid, you know, crowd and people that love us. And uh, that's what it's all about, man. You know, so very happy all that happened.
0: Definitely. And this is something I have to tell you, too. So, you know, the song Bleed, it got yep. me through some tough times and really in different stages of my life, too. It's one of those things I could always kind of go back to and, and relate to it. How personal is that song for you?
1: Well, I mean, I think that was the accumulation. Bleed. Uh, that was another song, like with Ugly, that I'd written years earlier. Um, and I don't think that Bleed didn't come out till 13 Ways to Bleed on stage. However, mm-hmm. We had that song on the first record. I just never played. I had played it, but I didn't want to record it. Like, I would go, it's not ready yet, is one of those things. Like, I was like, no, it's not the tone. So uh, I don't know why I didn't do that on the first record, but I'm glad that I didn't, because there was a reason for it to be on 13 Ways. Um, And yeah, the, the crazy thing about that song is the connection that people have with it and the places that it takes them. Because at the heart of it, it's really um about a musician, you know, just feeling music and wanting you know another thing that kinda you know when Ross was telling to me in this in the studio that night telling me you know this is what you need to be to for to translate, and that song has always been that, and I just put it on a back burner, so we recorded on thirteen ways um we were in the studio with Adam Casper and Aaron. Foo Fighters and uh, I think Gwen Stefani the, um, and Stain were playing a show down the road. And me and Aaron had been friends because of the, uh, you know, Fred had got them signed too, and we were all on Flip Records together. So when they were playing down the road, um, Aaron had heard me play Bleed on the bus before, and we were touring together in the back lounge. And he had always loved that song. So when he found out we were recording it, I was like, dude, you want to come and like do harmonies? Do you have any time today to come out during your show that made me do some stuff? He's like, hell yeah, I do. So he came out, and we started doing the song, and me and him just sat there and played the guitar through it, and he, we worked out the parts, and it, you know, it became what it was. And it's literally, you know, I think Aaron, Aaron was important in that part because he felt exactly the way I did about that song. And I think if anybody else would have done it, it wouldn't have had what it,
0: needed. And it gets me every single time. Yeah. Do you have a particular song, you know, yourself that takes you to a, a deeper place than others? I guess both one that you've written and one from another artist? Um. The
1: the ones that I've written, uh, there's so many. There's so many that were so important and so integral throughout my life and, you know, changed my life when I wrote them or gave me hope or um, helped me get over something and stuff. So there's many cold songs that do that. Some are too too uh, painful to play sometimes, you know. Um, but I try to get through it, and um, I, I, I couldn't really name a cold song that did that. And um, I don't know. You know, with other songs, too, I'm going to give you the same answer with that because so many different songs mean so many different things to me when I need it, you know. So it runs one of those songs. You know, like, it's just a song that comes with me throughout my life that helps when I need it. Um, so thankful for that.
0: Absolutely. And you know, almost, what, 35 years of doing this. Do you have a favorite memory overall or just something that sticks out from everything you've done?
1: Um, There's a lot of moments you know, that
0: were really great and grand. So I don't know
1: if I can diminish another moment with the with a special thing because there were so many special things that happened. And at the end of it all, I think that just building that connection with our fans and um, us being very loyal to them and them being very loyal to us back. And, like, the last tour um, was so emotional because... Um, like I said, everybody in the whole crowd was singing every word to every song and they're crying and getting in their their emotions and, and feeling that point where that one song that they found love for cold, you know, you could see it on their face. And me and Sam were talking about it. We had done so many tours throughout our life. And we'd always gotten great responses and great shows. But on this last tour, the emotion that was in that whole room was very thick and you could feel it. Um, that was one of the best feelings that I think I've ever had on stage. Some of those nights, it was just surreal and magical.
0: And that said too, with the touring, when things are, you know, kind of settling down again and all that, do you have plans to get right back out on tour when the timing's right?
1: Yes, for sure. I, you know, we're like you guys, we don't know when it's going to be over when we can start up again. Um, but we're ready whenever we can.
0: Anywhere along the tours you've been on, is there a city you just look forward to rolling through besides Boise, of course?
1: You know, I used to have a thing for New York City. It's not a, not a great thing. I used to, because I come from the South, you know, northern, Northeast Florida and Jacksonville. And when we first went to New York City, I used to hate it because, um, same thing with Los Angeles. Like, I, there was something about it that just wasn't me, the old Southern boys from Florida. Um, and all the traffic and the people and everything it was just too much but initially, late, later on I, I started finding things that would make me love cities like throughout my life I, I just go well, the, you can love every place as long as you find your niche in it and your little things that you know that other places don't have that you can really love with New York City it was the food and the you know the things with LA it was just the the cool things you got to do and the you know, there's so much cool stuff to do in a certain part of town. Um, so I started loving those places. And, you know, I think New York's probably my favorite place to play every time we go. Every time I go to New York City, I just love everything about it. Now The smells, the the food, the people. Um, it changed my life, you know. So I really love playing there.
0: Awesome. And is Jacksonville home to you then, always?
1: Yes, it is. You know, I've, I've lived in california for the for the last few years and we're here in kansas city now but i do believe after the kids get go to college that me and my wife will head back to florida and live it out there
0: and the kids are doing good
1: yeah they're really good i've been blessed they're way better than me when i was a kid i was always in trouble and dark and gothic things and i probably created too many problems for myself um But my kids are very well-rounded and very intelligent kids, and I'm blessed.
0: That's awesome. And I really hope we can get you back here at some point in the future, you know, and I hope we get to that again.
1: Yeah, man, we're going to get there again. I mean, this is just a a moment, you know. It might be an extended moment, but we're going to all adapt, and we will be – I think we might even be better at the end of all of
0: this. Definitely. Yeah, hopefully for sure. And what's the best place in the meantime, the best place, the best way that people can follow cold and what you guys have going on? Well, on
1: Instagram, we're, our, uh, we're at cold music on Instagram, uh, cold official on Facebook and then cold is how you can get all the information with all of that. You can, all our music and shirts and merchandise and uh, all our links to our socials are on there. So cold
0: Perfect. Scooter, my friend, I'm going to leave you with this right here. So, Kind of geeky, but I used to have cold in my AOL screen names back in the day. So that's, that's how long, you know, I've loved what you do and really just want to say, you know, thank you really for sharing your heart with us for everything you've done over those, the years. Right. And just please know that your work is, is really important to so many people.
1: Oh man. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. It means a lot to me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, hopefully we get to see you here soon and, and definitely want to keep in touch, man.
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely, man. You got my number, dude. Anytime you need to hit me up, hit me up. I'm here.